So Josie made mention of last week's meeting, and I just want to reflect what she said. The gratitude, the presence, the vulnerability, the realness that those of us who were in the room brought to our time together to talk about this moment in the life of Wellsprings. One of the really important elements that made that meeting so successful came from a person who's not here today just because they're away on a little bit of summer vacations, Bob Miller, who's representing our management team and also is specifically involved in the ad hoc team that's been pulled together to look at our options of space beyond just simply the school so we don't put all our eggs in that basket. Now, I thought Bob did an incredible job, and I shared with him the feedback that I'm going to share with you right now because I don't like to talk about anyone when they're not here without their permission. He kept using this phrase during his presentation. (laughs) He was in charge of, I'll put the air quotes, non-churchy stuff. (laughs) Looking for a building, non-churchy. He must have used the phrase five, six, seven times. And lovingly, I offered him this feedback this past week. I said, if a church does it, it is by definition churchy. (laughs) What he was talking about is, you know, the nuts and bolts stuff that actually a lot of us involved in spiritual community don't necessarily have the experience that he has and other people who are helping looking for space do have. And so it is a gift that is gratefully received and it is very much a gift of the entirety of our community. And how I could tell that this non-churchy stuff was really churchy, even to Bob? At one point, maybe you noticed this during his presentation, if you were here, he got a little, he got a little verklempt. <laughs> he got a little choked up. And he points at the reality that the spaces in which we live, the place that has been our home, for the first 11 years of Wellsprings, and again, I don't have any more information to share with you, but again, please keep in conversation with me and Reverend Lee and our board. I don't have any more information that's new today. But the place that has been our home for the first 11 years, the place that may be our home again, but wherever we are, I'm a big believer that that's a place where our stories live, where we make meaning of our lives. And that's why for a spiritual community, there is no non-churchy stuff. The structures in which we dwell hold our hearts. That's what today's movie is about. Columbus, this little independent movie about a place that I didn't even know existed. I heard that this independent movie got a lot of good reviews, and so I was curious about it. And I heard Columbus, and I thought Columbus, Ohio, wrong. Columbus, Indiana. If you're into architecture, at least more than I am, you might know that this place existed. It's only 50,000 people in the southern part of the state. And if you take a look at some of these pictures, and I want to stress just some, it is, in the secular sense of the word, a mecca for modernist architecture. I had no clue this place existed. And it involves, the story does, this movie, these two people, Jin and Casey. And yes, Jin is played by the actor John Cho, and yes, this is very, very different from any of the Harold and Kumar movies or American Pie. (laughs) Casey 
just entering her young adult years, Jin just leaving his young adult years, separated by probably 20 or 25 years between the two of them. She is from Columbus, grew up in the city, and is struggling with whether she is going to leave this place that has been her home. But she stays behind, you see, because her mother is in the very, very early steps and stages of recovery from a methamphetamine addiction. And so she feels kind of stuck there. Jin feels stuck there in a different way. His father, from South Korea, is a world-renowned historian who in the first scene in this movie, we witness him, but we never even see his face. He's in town to give uh, a lecture that many people in the town are going to attend about what he calls modernist architecture with the soul until he collapses from a stroke. And Jin is brought to this town of Columbus that he never intended or, as we learned, wanted to ever go to there to witness what will probably be, we don't even know at the end of the movie, his father's death. Casey is something of an amateur docent of the town's art and architecture. And Jin, at first, when their paths cross, he says, blasé, blunt, I don't care about architecture. And what he's saying is, I don't care about my dad. And the truth is, you get the sense, although we never see the flashbacks, that Jin's father was paying more attention to his career than he was to his son, and Jin holds that pain in his heart, and so he's there with a sense of resistance, with a sense of anger towards his father, and in truth, from the very first scene we see him, is looking for a way out. These two characters, it's not, uh, what do they say, uh, uh, May-December romance. Actually, more accurately, it would be an April-July romance. It's not a romance at all. However, it's a love story. It's a love story of friendship, soulful friendship as the stories they tell to each other through the stories wherein their hearts dwell in relationship to all these buildings, these buildings that Jin's father wrote about, studied about for decades, these buildings that Casey grew up in, as they tell the stories of these buildings, as Casey says, this is the building I used to go to and it reminded me of beauty and goodness when my mom was in the throes of her addiction. We're talking about one of the buildings, a mental health center, that was built literally over a river to represent a bridge of resilience for the people struggling there, that it could help them recover. As they tell these stories and as this deceptively slow movie unwinds itself, we see that actually what they're doing is they are midwifing each other into the next stages of their life. There's this one place that they go to. If you show the slide, it's the Veterans Memorial in the town of Columbus. And you can barely see it. And so I went online and I found a bunch of these pictures. You see these letters written from veterans before they died back to their people here. 
15 October 1944, Mother Darling, it was such a hurried trip last weekend, and of course I didn't get to do the things I wanted to do, but I got to look at you and put my arms around you for a little while. Heaven, if I'm lucky, will be just like you coming to the door to meet me. I've been busy this week just flying, but there's been quite a lot of it, and I've been catching up on sleep. I needed to. Remember, it won't be long till I come home for Christmas. Take care of yourself and take it easy. And remember, I love you, Mother, deeply and always. Excerpt from a letter to her mother written by Jean Llewellyn Norbeck, an engineering test pilot with the women Air Force Service pilots of World War II. The next day, Jean was killed in the crash. You can read the rest. Continuing to the next slide. 20 September 1943, dear Grandma. Well, Grandma, it's a rough road, but we have to follow. When this is over, we will share our love together. Love, Raymond. Raymond Scroggins, USA Army, was killed in action September 19th, 1943. And one more. 18 March 1963. Mom, what do you think about me getting married? I'll see you in two weeks and bring my new bride home for you to meet. Love, Ralph. Airman second class, Ralph L. Denny, U.S. Air Force, killed the next day after he wrote that. March 19, 1963. It's moving on its own. And I think what the movie maker was doing was trying to move a, prove a point. Something that Walt Whitman, who gave us our mission here at Wellsprings, when he wrote that architecture is what happens when you look at it. He wasn't saying nothing is not real until you look at it. But when you look at it appreciatively, when we pay attention to where we spend our lives, the buildings, the structures, the art, when we really look at it, some new meaning emerges and something new within our life emerges. I love these letters as well, too, from this particular monument, because it reminds me why I've never met a theologian as good as the best poet I've ever met. Walt Whitman again. He wrote and leaves of grass, I find letters from God dropped in the street and everyone is signed by God's name and I leave them where they are for I know that wheresoever I go, others will punctually come forever and ever and ever. This is, by the way, if you want to explain to people what Unitarian Universalism is, use that. <laughs> Notice both the receptivity and the open-heartedness. Sometimes we say in our tradition, that revelation is unsealed. That revelation is not, <clears throat> excuse me, closed. This is what Walt Whitman is saying. Personally, I don't have any use for abstract theology about the unmoved mover or the first cause of the universe. It doesn't do me much good. But when someone points at the divine like this as a sense of omnipresence, not just a few objects, but here and now and real, and we can listen and read and receive, and then just as important as receiving the letting go with trust, not replacing religious dogma with emotional dogma that we have to hold so tightly to what we believe right now or what we have right now that we do not believe that other meanings will emerge. 
ultimately what this movie is about and actually why I loved it as quiet as it is, or maybe I loved it because it's so quiet, is that in its own way it talks about one of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings, that the burning bush is blazing everywhere. How I experience that is an invitation to open my heart and keep my heart open. That my story, your story, our story, the story of everyone that we share this life with is not done yet. And that this makes a difference and that especially it makes a difference right now in this season of meanness and cruelty masquerading as policy. Remembering the larger story is essential. It's not just enough to critique what we think is going wrong. We have to offer the world a better story. There's a place and a community that some of you might know called Congreso de Latinos Unidos. When they moved to their new building in 2004 in northeast Philadelphia, they commissioned a work of art to try and express the meaning of that community, a community that is so often misrepresented in mass media. And they brought in an artist named Pepon Osorio. And what he did was this. That sits in the courtyard of the Congreso. It is taken from images and pictures and hopes and heartbreak that he found spread all throughout his community. He says that what he does as an artist, before he creates, he listens. He listens to the stories that resonate for people. He listens to hopes and joys and struggles. And so this is not just his work. This is the work of his community and the people who he loves. It is telling a larger, better story. I think all true art does that. And yes, I do believe it is essential right now at this moment in our country's life. As I do also think this question is essential at this moment. <laughs> Some of you might know I posted this on Facebook not too long ago. I saw this in the parking lot of the King of Prussia movie theater just as I was headed in to see the Mr. Rogers movie that I preached on a few weeks ago. And I was late because I had to like turn my phone back on because I turned it off before I went into the theater because I wanted to get a picture of this. And by the way, I do not think this is some uh, liberal religious snarky finger in the eye, what would Jesus do? Me, 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 me. No, 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 no. I think actually this is a really serious question. Walt Whitman, who wrote about those letters from God dropped in the street seen everywhere and that we can absorb them for a time and then let them go, this is a worldview that I experience as healing because it enlarges the story of us. Let's us know that in this life of constant movement and growth and change, we are invited to continue to grow. That's what I think Walt Whitman would do. And that's why I want to follow his teaching. Not because, by the way, he lived 150 years ago and things that happened 150 years ago are necessarily better than what is happening now. Very often they were worse. But this is a teaching that encourages us to have a specific kind of relationship with the world and to remain open. 
And ultimately, that's what these two characters in this movie get to realize. By the end, Jin, who just wanted to get away, chooses to stay. And Casey, who thinks she has to stay, chooses to leave. And they don't do that out of obligation or running away. In all those stories that Casey starts to tell about the architecture of Columbus, Jin starts to recognize something. He is connected to his father. And so as long as his father's death process will take, he will be there. And Casey, in sharing her gifts, she gets to recognize that she has options before her and she doesn't have to stay tied to this place. This is not a romance story. It is, however, a love story. Through the presence of each with the other, they recognize that all reality is relationship. And that if we keep on paying attention to what is here in our lives, we will continuously over and over and over again, unfinished selves that we are, recognize that we are not done. That life is always offering us continuous opportunities to grow, like waves that arise from the ocean and fall back into the ocean after a time or absorbed back in and become something else eventually, rising up and falling back, rising up and falling back. It's the same thing with all of our lives, gaining and losing and gaining and losing and receiving and releasing on and on and on. And sometimes, yes, this is really difficult and uncertain and heartbreaking. And if we pay attention, this will be the thing that wakes us up. We don't bypass it. Just try to get around it. Oh, you know, I know people who use, uh, you know, the, the truth of impermanence as a way to avoid feeling their own pain. <laughs> but it also works the other way, too. We don't have to get stuck there. Because maybe what happens, as teachers from Leonard Cohen to Rumi remind us, it's actually the cracks in us that allow the light to get in and get out, and we can remember that everyone's heart breaks and we are never alone in our loving. We can read these letters from God, treasuring them for a time, and then let them go, making space for whatever is going to show up next. I think this is the best truth there is, which is the ability to cling a little less tightly and love a little bit more abundantly and ultimately become more free. Not a false freedom. Not the freedom that some would promise us comes from control or authority or authoritarianism. This little movie in its own way speaks right to our moment and that what we're seeing worldwide is nothing more, nothing less than a failure of openness. Hoping for a past that really didn't exist anyway and even if it didn't part, it really wasn't that great for the majority of people. And there's another thing I love about this movie. It's made by a man who's not from Columbus. It's made by a guy who goes by the name of Kogananda, who was born and lived most of his life in South Korea. Talk about a pushback against the dominant narrative of fear of our time, the heartland, the so-called heartland, whatever that is. A place in that heartland 
was introduced to me, and by extension perhaps to some of you, by a guy who grew up about 10,000 miles from here. Yes, right now, so many of us are focused on and have opened our hearts to the trauma that's come from family separation, but there's a whole other story alongside of that. It's something I saw in a museum where I was in Ireland, which was a country for hundreds of years decimated by colonialism and cruelty. And it's simply a museum called Epic. It's about the emigrants from that country. And I love this quote. I took a picture of it. After all, emigration is not just a chronicle of sorrow and regret. It is also a powerful story of contribution and adaptation. This is recognizing those letters from God that do not stop. This enlarging story of the us that some would like to freeze and cap, and yet our tradition says strongly, no. That's that's deeply violating the very center of the universe. And so today I want to end my message with a literal letter carrier. Perhaps some of you heard this on NPR not so many weeks ago. It's about this guy. Isu Choi. He carried letters for the post office on the block in which I lived for about three years of my life in the 90s. I lived at 88th Street and York Avenue. He may even have delivered some of my letters. After 20 years, he was retiring from his job. And he wrote a letter and delivered it to every single person on his route. These are his words. Dear friends, first of all, I would like to take this opportunity to express my gratitude. By the end of this month, I will be ending my career as a letter carrier in Manhattan and starting a new chapter as a retiree. Over 30 years ago, I began working as a firefighter in Korea before I emigrated to the U.S. to follow the people I love. It is in this country that I have gained countless blessings over the years. Interacting with people of various ethnicities, culture, and religious backgrounds, I've gained a love, respect, and appreciation for humanity. Working as a mailman, I've encountered various personalities, including a billionaire, a TV anchor, a foreign diplomat, countless doctors, professors, and other fellow postal workers. I've interacted with both the wealthy and the poor working in Manhattan. The homeless lady who used to sit by the Vietnamese restaurant was both a friend and a mentor to me. I believe that we can learn a great deal about ourselves and about life when we open up to the world around us. In this land, in this city, I've learned and gained so much by encountering each of you and consider my life full and abundant. It is my prayer and hope and that your lives will also be full of peace and joy in your everyday encounter with the world. It has been a privilege serving you as your mailman. Farewell, Mailman Choi. In the interview that came along with the story when I first heard it, these were his concluding words. He said, it is like a school, this earth. We are learning. It is like a school, this earth. We are learning. Today, may you say yes to the letters of God that you read.
They are all around us. May you hold them for a time, receive their blessing, and then releasing, trusting whatever next stage is yours to live. May we live more fully. May we love more abundantly. And we all may be a little more free. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Divine, which echoes in our lives, not because the voice spoke long ago and there are only ripples out, but in each age, in each era, within each life, this great song continues. And we are not separate from the song. We are that song, just as the wave is not separate from the ocean. May we recognize that this day, especially, especially if we're feeling stuck someplace else in the past or if we're just looking forward to what's to come, may we recognize right here, right now, what is in our hands or what's underneath ourselves in the ground or who are we with? What can we treasure? What must we mourn? What can we hold on to and what must we let go? More than anything else, my friends, as people of faith, May we recognize our role, our place in this great, beautiful, terrible, and amazing dance. Amen.